This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been reading to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. That's our opening. Let's start the show. <laughs> <laughs> Every I don't have week. anything clever to say. Well, no, we just like recorded in a whole nother podcast. So I feel like all my conversational juice has been sipped like oh. it's gone so every week one of us reads a book that we've never read before and tells the other person about it uh this week i read behold the dreamers by imbolo Mbwe. craig was this a patreon book it was thank you nasha for supporting us on patreon.com slash overdue pod yeah. um, that's why we're reading this cool book i don't get out of bed for less than seven dollars a month so mm, what <laughs> Suzanne has to give me $7 on the first of every month or I just won't get out of bed. That's it seems like a raw deal. You guys are like married and stuff. Yeah, well. I mean, different strokes. I suppose. You're just mad that you didn't think about it. It's true. <laughs> we want prenups. We want prenups. <laughs> uh, so I had not heard about this book. Is Oprah is Oprah book club book. I've heard of Oprah though, which is it's bestowed untold fame and riches on many authors. Yeah. I wish they could do it to all authors, but it's just not. I that also much. wish that it wasn't like it wasn't good books like this mixed up with like The Secret. I wish it was a little yeah. more consistent. <laughs> yeah, well, and I we should maybe. Maybe someday we just do like a mini episode or something on the Oprah's book club thing. Maybe we just do Oprah month. Oh, okay. Put it in the file. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Let's talk about Mbolombue and this book. So what? She's from Cameroon. Yep. Um, I learned a lot researching her about stuff. I'm sad I didn't learn in like a modern history class. About Cameroon. So um, do you know that in 1919 with the Treaty of Versailles that Cameroon was split between Britain and France? Wow, two European countries do something to another country that's a long way away and completely changes everything about it. That's wild. Yes. When does that happen? um, This still goes on today. There is a power imbalance between Francophone Cameroon and uh, Anglophone Cameroon, where there is something called the Anglophone problem or the Anglophone conflict or the Anglophone question, where English is not allowed to be like used in certain schools and English-speaking Cameroonian uh, communities are disempowered and disenfranchised. So um, Mbue grew up in speaking English in an Anglophone part of Cameroon. And so I think when she said she moved to the United States in 98, I think, and she has remarked that she traded one minority status for another. 
um, because she was an English speaker in Cameroon and she is black living in America. Um, so she was certainly seeking, I think she moved here to study, like to go to college. Um, but she has spoken pretty eloquently about um, the situation back in Cameroon, but also about her own personal experience of moving from one minority to another. Um, that's, not, that's not a thing I knew about. So mm-hmm. like, I almost like I wrote and deleted a bunch of tweets last night. I was like, books are cool. They teach you stuff. <laughs> Cause I was just like <laughs> excited to learn. Um, so she moved here. She moved to NYC. She was working a bunch of different jobs in uh, approaching 2008. She was a research manager and lost her job in the great the beginning of the Great Recession. The Great um, Recession, what's that? That is that thing where apparently, according to recent statistics, everyone in America lost seventy thousand dollars. If you oh. if you take the amount of money lost in the big financial collapse of 08-09 that started in two thousand seven, uh, it appears as if every American lost roughly seventy grand. Um, some more, some less, I suppose. So, oh, you mean that thing that we both graduated directly into that's going to affect our earning power and our position in American society for the rest of our lives? Yeah, maybe. Oh, yeah, that thing. Um, so we'll talk more about that in this book, I think, because this is part of what this book's about. Um. But I do, I do have a little bit of information on a central part of this book, which is the collapse of Lehman Brothers, which was a uh, investment bank. Money's weird. That's the thing about all these big companies <laughs> is it's like they did something with money. The money was involved. They weren't like apparently good at it. No. But so, they did a lot of things with money, and then all the money disappeared. So I took... Uh, we are the number one podcast for teens, so many of our listeners are probably like five or six when all of this went down. So yeah, just bear with us. they each lost $70,000. <laughs> uh, so I took some of this from um, Investopedia's article on the Lehman Brothers collapse. Sure, 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 sure. Um, Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy in 2008, September 15th. Um, they had over $600 billion in assets... Also, they had over $600 billion in debt, and it made it the largest bankruptcy filing in history, and they were the fourth largest investment bank at the time. Now, they fell victim to the subprime mortgage collapse, which was a bunch of people with bad credit ratings were given really like aggressive uh, mortgage loans for their homes. Mm-hmm. And this is like a whole bunch of folks who... On the one hand, there are folks who there are economists who defend subprime mortgages from the sense that like you're getting people into the credit system who might not who might otherwise have trouble. Okay, fine. Um, but a bunch of these were like cut up and bottled together and swapped around, and all their value was just completely borked. Because weren't um, they like weren't they kind of combined with loans that had like better ratings and then like sold between banks and yes. at a certain point just nobody knew the quality of or the value of anything that they had correct mundo like that that was the the issue is just that everybody's flying blind and yep. then when all these people who you gave loans to who can't pay their loan back 
you know, stop being able to pay their loans back, then bingo, bango, the money disappears. Yeah. So in like 03, 04, Lehman Brothers acquired like five different lenders, two of which were subprime lenders. In 07, their stock is at this record high and they mm-hmm. are ignoring the fact that subprime defaults are at a seven year high. Yeah. Uh, two of the Bear Stern hedge funds drop out in 2007. But Lehman Brothers is like, nah, we got it. We got these mortgage securities. We're fine. Yeah, like Bear Stearns completely goes under and ceases to exist yep. in 08. Yep. Um, they are almost saved, uh, Lehman Brothers is, by a South Korean bank, a state-owned South Korean bank who uh, does not go through on what would probably have been a terrible deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and they filed for bankruptcy, and that meant that uh, over like almost 50 billion dollars of market value was just wiped out and guys like richard fold who was one of the heads of lean brothers at the time still made millions of dollars because uh they didn't care um and that's awful yeah there's there's a thing in american business for those for our (laughs) non-american listeners who just like don't look at our country and like what are you guys doing over there once you get to the point where you're actually running a company, you command such a generous severance package that even if you run a company into the ground, which has yeah. happened many, many times, like in being ousted, you will receive more money than any single person would need to live their entire life mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. Um, I found a 2010 report or, or article that talked about a 2010 report in the Christian Science Monitor that showed that Lehman Brothers was also doing some book cooking, um, that along the way they were kind of misrepresenting the value of their assets. Um, there's also a, for those interested, a Planet Money episode in 2013. It's episode 486, which is the crisis revisited like five years after the financial collapse if you want more info um, and I know we, we wanted to cover this because, from my understanding, the book, this happens in the book, and it certainly affects characters. It's pretty but, central to the like the narrative arc of all the yeah. characters in the book. So, yeah. yeah. So we want to make sure we had a good handle on that. I guess um, maybe we should explain why we were suddenly talking about the global <laughs> financial crisis like before we did it, but <laughs> that's the reason why. Yeah. Um, so... Mbue had tried to write a novel um, that didn't take. Um, and then, you know, she'd studied at Rutgers in Columbia and then she was trying to make it as a writer. Um, and then this book, I believe it got picked up in 2014 at like at auction at the Frankfurt Book Fair, which I also didn't know was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, where it she sounds co- like a place where you go and buy like a bunch of Goosebumps books yeah. or something, like a cool <laughs> but book it's fair. Actually, where publishers like spend millions of dollars to get publishing rights uh, to books, including *Behold the Dreamers*, which at the time was called *The Longings of Jende Janga*. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have no other information on the name change, but that's it, it was this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it won the Penn Faulkner Award in 2017, and it got that coveted Oprah Book Club selection. Um, there's like a there's an adorable interview with her and Oprah out there where she talks about how when she first came to the U.S., she went to a library, saw the Oprah section, and just like picked up Songs of Solomon by Toni Morrison. Was like, if God were a writer, I imagine this is how she would write. And that's what if like, she had picked up the secret first? It would have been a whole different thing. <laughs> yeah, her path would have been totally different. It would have been kind of a mess. 
Um, but yeah, so she she uh, Mbwe lived through this financial crisis. Like she was living in New York at the time, and she was unemployed for a little over a year. And um, she she was walking in Columbus Circle in New York City, and she saw a lot of like black chauffeurs waiting mm. for to pick up these like white businessmen, and got got an idea like what oh, what if I what if I made one of one of those chauffeurs like a main character in the story and so that's that's what jende is is he's a an immigrant from uh cameroon who is you know he's been driving a cab for a while and it's a couple years before the financial crisis hits and then he gets this plum gig driving around the sleeman brothers exec named clark edwards and Mm. uh, we we uh will talk a little bit more about the book in, in a minute but that's like that's the setup she's like it it is it is she's drawing from her experiences, but she's also just like drawing from a thing that she noticed that she thought was like, Hey, look at, look at this. Like, isn't, isn't this a picture? Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I was also struck as we kind of, uh, wrap up our opening segment here. I was struck by an, uh, an essay she wrote for the New York times, um, called how to vote as an immigrant and a citizen. Andrew, can you guess when this essay was dated? When would it make you most sad to hear when this essay was dated? God, like November 7th, 2016. <laughs> Pretty close. October 20th, 2016. Ugh. Um, and it's this fascinating article about, you know, her life and people assuming whether or not she is a citizen um, and what she's fought for to be naturalized. She w- She became an American citizen in 2014. Um, her recognition of being someone who will always be both an immigrant and a citizen um, and what she, you know, she recognizes as the American dream and what she thinks about this country, but recognizes as its shortcomings. Um, And so I was struck by this uh, passage uh, and how it might, how it both relates to our current time and the rhetoric that is going around in the news today uh, and also this book. Um, While the citizen in me agrees that we must do something about the 11 million immigrants living in the country without legal documents, the immigrant in me is stunned by the branding of such immigrants as lowlifes. While the citizen in me recognizes that America cannot offer every American the opportunity he seeks and that America should take care of Americans first, the immigrant in me cannot help but hope for policies that will keep America, in the words of Langston Hughes, the dream the dreamers dreamed. So... I think, and th- this is was echoed. The sentiment was kind of echoed in reviews I found of the book that she's just got a very, uh, a, a very perceptive eye and ear for humanity, and like the you and I have have like we recoil at the at the deployment of the phrase both sides for for a lot of good reasons, but I think that what is underneath that and what what is actually what that means is like yeah i get why other people are angry and i'm angry about other stuff too and there's actually like there is actually something that connects those two feelings yeah she just Um, has she has a um a way of of just like capturing the way that things feel like there's mm. she writes about the seasons in in new york and 
Um, we lived in Jersey City up till a couple of years ago, which yeah, yeah. is not New York. <laughs> but, but you have close. strong emotional feelings to New- towards New York because right, of right. your time there. Yeah. yeah. And she and so she's talking about spring in, in New York. And I think, you know, it happens in Philadelphia, too, to, to some degree. But um, but then the spring came and his dreams of Phoenix evaporated like the dew in Marcus Garvey Park. He couldn't imagine a city more beautiful, more delightful, more perfect for him than New York. Once the temperature rose above 55, it was as if the city had awakened from a deep slumber and the buildings and trees and statues were singing as one like that pretty much perfectly captures that first warm day after everyone like makes it through february (laughs) Uh and everyone's like all right it's time it's cargo shorts sandals (laughs) t-shirt gonna dig my frisbee out gonna go to rittenhouse square i'm just gonna i'm just gonna strip down to my undies and have a good time out here because it's spring spring's here i don't you know have you ever done you've we've all done that We've all enjoyed spring. That is a true statement. (laughs) (laughs) But perhaps the specifics of your life are just yours. But that's what makes you unique, Andrew. I feel like my experience is pretty universal, but uh, sure. Sure, Okay. Well, let's take a quick break, and then I want to hear more about this book. Okay. Andrew, I'm hungry. You're hungry? I need to eat something. What am I supposed to do about that? Help me. Help me, Andrew. (laughs) I need food, but I'm stuck podcasting. How can I make sure that food comes to my house? All right. So what you can can do is you can sign up for HelloFresh, one of our sponsors this week. They're a service that sends a box of food to your house. Oh, okay. It's a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. Um, They've got a lot of different plans to choose from. You can choose from the classic plan, the veggie plan, and the family plan. Veggie, of course, is vegetarian and family. um, Doubles the normal serving size from two servings to four servings per meal. Um And uh, you can look forward to your HelloFresh delivery knowing dinner just got that much easier. You can feel confident when cooking HelloFresh with the simple recipes outlined on pictured step-by-step instruction cards. And uh, all the ingredients come pre-measured in handy labeled meal kits so you know which ingredients go with which recipe. It's simple and convenient, Craig. It's not a chore. Good. That's great. And among the many benefits of subscribing... Uh, you can spend less time meal planning, grocery shopping each week, and get that time back to do more of what you love, which should be cooking. Like, <laughs> and you can also like I, I think everybody's like just been on autopilot with dinners. You know, you have like three or four things every week. Yeah, that you're yeah. Just kind of making a cycle. You can get out of that recipe rut and start cooking outside your comfort zone by discovering new delicious recipes in each week's box. Um, I got a new HelloFresh box just this week. A lot of very good recipes in it. I cooked some pork tenderloin. Mm. That was chef's kiss. It had like a fig sauce on it. <laughs> and I was the chef, so I just kissed myself. It was perfect. Uh, <laughs> so if this sounds good to you, and why wouldn't it? For a total of $60 off, and that's $20 off your first three boxes, you can visit HelloFresh.com slash Overdue60, that's the number 60, and enter promo code Overdue 60. Again, that's 60. HelloFresh.com slash Overdue 60 and enter the promo code Overdue 60. So get free food, please, from us to you, HelloFresh. 
Craig, I just read that ad and I'm feeling okay about it, but I can't see anything anymore. <laughs> Sounds like you need new eyes. I do. Can you replace my eyes, please? I can't replace your eyes, but I could replace your eyewear. Thanks to our other sponsor this week, Warby Parker. They're new to the show. They are new to the show. Welcome, Warby and Parker. Um, They are (laughs) eyewear with a purpose. Um, I don't know if you know this, Andrew, but almost 1 billion people worldwide lack access to glasses. That's crazy because glasses were invented 700 years ago. (laughs) And we should be on top of this, which is why Warby Parker partners with nonprofits uh, like Vision Spring to make sure that every pair of glasses sold, um, a pair is distributed to someone in need. Um, I wear Warby Parker glasses uh, and I like them. They help me see. So I'm going to tell you more about how they can help you see. Sound good? Yeah, it sounds great. And great. I was just thinking what a stylish boy you looked like with your I'm Warby Parkers. So stylish and I can see. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got a free try, a free mm, a free home. <laughs> you try free glasses. Now, that has nothing to do with the glasses I'm wearing. I'm just excited. They have a free home try-on program where you can order five pairs of glasses and try them on for five days. You don't have to buy them. It's all free shipping. Um, they even like give you the return label. Um, you just head to warbyparker.com slash overdue and you can get your free home try-ons today. Um, when you do want to buy glasses, they start at $95, including prescription lenses. Um, you get anti-glare, scratch coating stuff. Um, and as I said before, every pair you buy, they give a pair to someone in need. Um, they also have an iTunes app that you can use. Um, some of that's like you can use it for actually getting a prescription in your house. It's super cool. Um, and yeah, I've also like gone to a Warby Parker store here in Philly um, to like get my eyes checked. So I had the prescription. And it yeah, was, they had that one on Walnut Street, right? Yeah. And the optometrist was super cool. Um, they even like they just like made sure that I was actually seeing what I needed to see um, and were not judging me for taking several years to get my new glasses. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also the ordering process for the free try home thing try at home thing is like really easy you pick cool styles that you want to try out they come to your house you can show them to people that you care about and have them actually pass judgment because you might be like "Mm, my face is changing i need second opinions (laughs) Uh, which is how i am go to warbyparker.com slash overdue to order your free home try-ons today warby parker see how you see So what do you uh, what do you want to talk about? I want to talk like, about what's going on with you. I feel mm. like we never talk about you during this show. I'm it's, all, little, it's always about the books, you know. Yeah, I'm like a little hungry right now, but it's Thursday. I'm feeling like I'm ready for the weekend. You know? Yeah. You know? You working for it? I am like the work- song. Yeah, I am working for the it. Loverboy song. Is that Loverboy? Yeah, pretty sure. Everybody's well, working for the weekend? Working for the week. Yeah, it's Loverboy. Get huh. out of here. Get out of here. you think it was? I don't know. You were just thinking that Loverboy sucked too much to write a good song like Working for the Weekend. That's very possible. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you tell me about this book? How about? Uh, you mean Behold the Dreamers by Mbolo Mbwe? Yeah, please. So like we alluded to before the break, this book is about... Um, it's about two families. So one is an immigrant family from Cameroon. Um, that's Jende Jonga and um, and his wife and his son and then eventually their baby. And then the Edwards family, 
Um, that's Clark Edwards and Cindy Edwards. And he is an exec on Wall Street. He's at Lehman Brothers. And she is, um, I guess, the most accurate thing would be socialite. She's just kind of... She is mostly um, raising her kids. Like she has an older kid who is who is leaving the house named Vince, and then a younger kid named Mighty who is still very much a child. Um, yeah, Mighty. Yeah, you heard me right. Oh no! Um, like, but does she of, like go serve on boards and stuff? Like, is she like going to political parties? She's mostly um, depicted sort of talking to her friends and throwing parties and and being with her husband and doing that kind of stuff and, okay. and raising her family. Like family is super, super important to her. Uh, I don't want to make her sound like she is not a character in this because she very much is. But, okay. Um, okay. Um, so yeah, the, the book is about these these two sets of families, but the all the action we get is from the eyes of Jende and then his wife, Neni. Um, and they are, it's it's usually alternating chapters, but you get some stretches, especially toward the end, where I think you hear a little bit more from Nenny than you do from from Jende. Okay. Um, so he has come over from Cameroon. Um, his cousin has helped him sort of get a get a work permit, but he doesn't have permanent papers, and he is going to be staying in the country illegally. Okay. Um, but he is talking with this lawyer. And the lawyer, like he, he's trying to help him fill out like an, like, um, make an asylum plea for himself. Oh, okay. But there's not really like, they're they are playing up some incidents that happened in in his past. Like Nenny's dad really did not care for Jende, um, but it's not a situation where he's going to go back to Cameroon and get like killed by his wife's father. But that's the sort of tack that they're taking with the, with the story. Okay. Um, but his, his lawyer, Bubakar tells him like, even if we can't get you an asylum, like asylum papers, even if we can't get you to stay here permanently, I know how to work the system so that you are in court for so long that you still have many, many years in America and we'll just figure something out. Hmm. Okay, um, and so he's been here for a couple of years. This is in the mid two thousands, and then he ha- he make he's making enough money that he brings Nenny and their uh, and their kid uh, Leomi, I believe, over, and um, and she gar- starts going to school, and she really wants like her dream is to be a pharmacist. She really really wants to be a pharmacist, and she, so she's going to school. They're living in Harlem, in a um, I believe it's a rent controlled apartment that is sort of being rented out like under the under the table okay i think the deal with rent control apartments is like you can't you can't transfer that lease yeah right so so it's it's very much a uh like you listen you don't you don't tell anybody that i'm getting this money from you tax-free and i won't tell anybody that you are paying way less for this apartment than you should be yes correct (laughs) um but yeah they they really and and a lot of people in um in uh linda the village that they're from really um just revere america like there, there's not there are not a lot of jobs there there's not a lot of stuff for like ambitious able-bodied young folks to do okay back in cameroon so they they've come to new york in pursuit of the american dream such as it is sure and they are working very hard to make this happen and as as the book opens jende is getting a 
job with uh, Clark Edwards based on the strength of his recommendation, like that, that his cousin Winston has, has set up for him. And it's, um, he doesn't have papers, but he is going to fib and he's going to, you know, he, he's just going to kind of bluff his way into getting this job because it's going to pay a lot. It's going to pay a lot more like papers wise, not like skill wise, like skill wise. He's, he's definitely been driving these cars. He's definitely qualified. He just does not have papers. And, and does he know he's doing like the bluffing? Like he knows. Okay. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Um, but he is, he is so, he loves America so much. He wants to be here so much that, um, that he is willing to take the risk because the reward, you know, the reward is so significant. And because his lawyer, Bubukar, is telling him, you know, the worst that can happen is you end up in court and we just like tie that up for a few years and you still have time to, to figure something else out. Is Bubukar basically being like, the system is tough enough as it is, so why not press forward with this because, yo, you got to eat? Like... It's not, I don't know that it's Bubakar so much pressing that end of it. Like it's a combination of Bubakar holding, you know, doing the legal stuff and giving him some advice that way. And then his cousin Winston, who is here legally, okay. um, just telling him like, this is my experience of how the system works and what I think you should do. Like you should just um, press forward and then as you're doing and like, it. Like don't worry about it and yeah. it'll be fine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and it is fine. So he starts driving around uh, Mr. Edwards and he's... He's making $35,000 a year, which huh. does not sound like a ton, but it is twice what he was making as like a cab driver. So yep. you, you, the reader get a very clear sense that, Hey, this is a huge deal for them. And they like, they are going to budget very precisely and they're going to save up money. And she's in a few years, she'll be a pharmacist and she'll make a lot of money and they'll buy a house and they'll have the American dream and it'll be great. So is she here on like a student visa? Yes. Okay. Correct. Okay. Yeah. I'm also surprised. I'm just struck by the fact that you can quote me what the salary is. Like that tells me something about the book and what is important, like how how it is both laying its plot and perhaps what some of the themes that we've already been talking. Well, because like, how did? Okay, so. When I got my first job out of college, it was, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was the depth of the recession and I was looking like Susanna was living in Chicago and I was looking to move there to, to so we could, you know, be together. Gross. Why'd you and, say it like that? I don't know. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, there were no jobs. I was getting no calls back, no nothing. Yeah. And so, um, at the same time as I was doing this, like I was working part time in the in the IT department at the college we had both gone to. Like it was mm. supposed to be a summer job, but they were hiring full time positions and they said, you know, hey, if you wanna stay, this job is yours. Huh. Okay. And I just like I simultaneously did and didn't have any idea what money was and what salary was. Like yeah. I, I asked for or I, I was going to ask for like 30 or 35, I think, because I knew that would be like a ton more than I had been making and enough for me to live in, you know, semi-rural Ohio. Yeah. And then I went in there and they offered me like 40 or 41. Sure. And I was just, I just remember being like stunned by that. Like that is like, what vast riches are these? <laughs> yeah. No, that's very true. And, and like I, I don't know what your experience was like, kind of finagling for because I know you're you're 
Woof, experience dude. was a lot more like freelancing and kind of patching work together and, as you could get it. But. And nowhere, nowhere near those earnings for many oh, yeah. years. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because I did not get a any, I did not get a salaried job until maybe four or five years ago. Yeah, it was relatively like, recently. It was a lot of ten ninety nines and a lot of part time jobs that. Um, we're all kind of totaling up, you know, probably like five or six years ago, bought two in the kind of mid thirties. And that's like a nonprofit arts thing that is like, I'm very thankful for considering. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there was not a, like, certainly in theater, there was not a, like, here's where you go when you get out of uh, college and how you go make a living like right that's, so that's like, like a different issue but at the same time it was still compl- it was still compounded by where we what was going on worldwide when we got out of college which was just like, any like you felt lucky to have anything and that's yeah. not quite mm-hmm. that's not quite Jenday's experience because the recession hasn't started yet but I think in talking about the specificity of their finances as often as Mboy does yes um, it really made me think a lot about what it was to like graduate from college with like I had luckily there was like a $99 security deposit on the first apartment that I moved into, <laughs> but I had like three or $400 in credit card debt because I had to furnish the place and probably like low five digit student loans and nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Except for like, if I if I had to lean on family, I could have, but I just and I really didn't want to. I, I I know there are there are books that deal with kind of that stuff, but this seems like a thing that is certainly baked into the era in which it is set, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and and certainly has value, like specific literary value, is being explored by being set in this era. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so he gets this job. So he gets this job, and most of the book is just like how these families have become like become entangled and how um, like it's, it's interesting because especially for a book that's set in this era. And I saw the, the name Lehman brothers (laughs) pop up early in the book. And then it was just like the checking account of Damocles, like hanging over this (laughs) book. Like I knew things were going to break bad at some point. I just didn't know when, but I was just, I was just prepping for it. Do you, what do you think? um, Does the book presume that you know that? That's my question. Does the book presume that you know that stuff's going to go bad money wise i think you don't need to know but i think pretty much any reader is going to have that context because this was such recent history like it was it was a decade ago when it was published and certainly i think that would probably figures into like hype around when when it it was published in 2016 like less than a decade ago so it's a decade ago as i'm reading it now okay but um yeah, so, so since you're getting things through, like exclusively through a Nenny and Jenda, you're you you the reader can read some things into like the overheard conversations from the back of um the back of the Edwards limo. But Jenda, like even once things start happening, Jenda's not fully like cognizant of how far reaching 
stuff is. Some of that is a language barrier thing. Like I thought it was funny that you mentioned cooked books earlier because there is a section where um, the euf- like the euphemism, the idiom cooked books is used and Dende <laughs> is like, what? <laughs> why, are okay. you cooking, why are you cooking these books? Interesting. Um, so does he like, how are these families intertwined, if at all? So Jende is, you know, he's very, very grateful for the position and because he knows he's undocumented because his lawyer has told him, you know, I can I can do a lot for you, but you cannot get in any trouble at all. Like the, the police in America are for the protection of white people mm. and especially as a as a black man like that, the police are not for you. Hmm. Um, and that's like they don't delve too much into race in this book at least like like the the relationship between the between jenda and nenny and the edwardses is more about class like explicitly like they do they do talk a little bit about the difference between like african-americans and then people who are here from africa and how you know the groups kind of mutually look down on each other in different ways yeah okay. like they like jenday is always talking about like the the guys hanging around in harlem with their pants hanging all the way down like that huh. kind of stuff interesting um, okay but um but yeah it where, sounds where like the book is it sounds like the book <laughs> is more interested in the financial class-based differences which of course is like it's all interconnected but one can weigh more than the other in in a particular story based on yeah. who the characters are yeah Okay, and so especially given Wei's background, like you might expect this book to be like good, virtuous, hardworking immigrant family versus cold, unfeeling, don't know what they have banking family, and there are strains of that. Sure, but everybody has like every single character has virtues and flaws. Like every character in this book, of the main four of like Jende, Nenny, uh, Mister Edwards, and and Mrs. Edwards they each have at least one moment where they lose you, where they just like lose the reader as, huh. as a fan. And and they usually can get you back. I actually, I found that um, toward the end of the book, especially I could not root for Jende and, and Nenny's chapters because he was being pretty awful to her. Huh. Okay. But when I was back in his point of view, I could kind of, see it a bit more like he does actually get like some of it is just like a cultural thing like you are my wife and you do what i say like regardless of of what you want like he when she has their second baby he decides you are going to take two semesters off from school and she is like i don't want to i don't want to but neither of them teach treats it as anything other than a foregone conclusion. Like yeah, if, if, yeah. if that, if that is how he has made his mind up, then that's what's going to happen. And she can, she can try and change his mind, but she can't say, you know, I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then toward the end, he does actually hit her. Oof. Um, we'll, we'll talk about the circumstances around that. Not that circumstances excuse that sort of thing, but no, 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 no. Uh, well, and yeah. I, I doubt Mbue is trying to excuse it. No, like, no, no, she's no, no, trying no. to de- she's trying to depict it. No, um, yeah, she. I think she is very, very consciously giving each of these characters virtues and flaws instead of trying to set up a, you know, a, a, an explicit like ninety nine percent versus one percent 
good versus evil. Yeah. So does it like axis. does it? Are there other parts of the book that kind of traffic in that vocabulary? That kind of occupy vocabulary. You see some occupy folks, like actual occupy folks, in oh, wow. passing. Okay. Not not like named no, people, no, 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 but no. people like holding signs and 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 you know protesting. <laughs> Sure. Horrible economic inequality and that kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, the, so the you asked earlier about how the how the two families intersect. So Jende at first is being very, um, he's very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Subservient, I guess, and always like always agreeing and always trying to be agreeable because he could lose this job at any moment. But he is driving around Mr. Edwards. He's driving around Mrs. Edwards. He's driving around their oldest son, Vince, who is very disillusioned with like American capitalism in America and is always talking about how we're all slaves to the system. And he's going to go move to India and find the true meaning of life, which is a a very rich kid thing, I think, even though he is well intentioned. But what a good character to put in your book where you have like rich banker dude and like immigrant who has bought into the American dream. And then you have entitled college kid being like nah well dog. yeah and that's it's a like he and he he and jenda get along really well yeah. actually and they have these very like spirited conversations there are sometimes conversations or like monologues in this book that I, that didn't work for me like they felt a little too um explicitly like preachy or, or oh, monologue sure. and not enough like dialogue. But when Vince and Jende are talking, it's very much about like I am here and I am hustling and I want this American dream and I don't understand like I don't understand how you can't see why I want that. I don't understand why you can't see like the good in your parents who just like care about their family and they've done all this stuff like for you so you can have a good life and maybe like they didn't do everything right and maybe they're not considering everything that you want them to consider but that's like fundamentally why they're they're doing the things that they do um and then he's also driving like mighty around to school and um eventually jenday gets in good enough with the edwards is that nanny is asked to come and like babysit okay uh, mighty like they go to their second home in the hamptons and nanny eats a lot of great food and gets a lot of like old clothes from Mrs. Edwards that she doesn't want anymore. But for this, you know, this immigrant family that makes 35 K a year, it's like this amazing like windfall of stuff. Windfall that, that mm. yeah, completely like unheard of. And my, like she and mighty are very close. She makes some like African food for, for mighty. And they, they just like have a good time hanging out hmm. because Mrs. Edwards is not always available because she, Mrs. Edwards, her, her tragic flaw is you know she's like she's very upset about vince like pulling away from the family and so she is she drinks too much and she takes uh she takes opioids okay and um eventually she ends up dying from that whoa um so like how do you want to i kind of feel like we need to drift into the end of this book so that that that's the that's the setup between the four of these people. <laughs> oh, Mr. Edwards's like fatal dramatic flaw is that he is seeing prostitutes. Jende gets caught up in the middle because Mrs. Edwards suspects him and asks Jende, Hey, write down everything everywhere. You take my husband. Oh gosh. Jende says, Mr. Edwards, Mrs. Edwards has told me to do this. Oh, what should I do? No. And Mr. Edwards is like, 
tell her, you know, tell her everything except not this thing. And so Jenda is like writing these very detailed logs and tricks her for a while until something comes out in a tabloid about, you know, this person with a specific job at Lehman Brothers who likes to hire prostitutes. So the marriage falls apart even as the economy is falling apart. Okay. Um, and how are how are Jende and Nene doing? Nene doing through this period. Um, on and off, like so, th- they do okay. I mean, the the, I think the the first time you don't like Jenda as a character is when he just tells her, "Hey, you're not you're not going to pharmacy school for two semesters because yeah, I demand yeah. that you stay home and take care of my baby." Um, which like it makes a certain amount of economic sense. Like he he says. Yeah, that's you a know, tough. Yeah, that's why a thing. like you yeah. you have to stay home with this baby when it's young, and also like we can't really afford childcare, and what is a couple more semesters and and blah blah blah. Um, they're doing fine until Jenday loses his job. So Mrs. Edwards has has discovered that Jenday has been lying to her, and mm. she demands. Um, like it's it's an overheard conversation, but she is essentially demanding that he be fired. So he is, it's in the middle of the recession. So nobody can get any work. He can't go back to his old cab driving job. Like people who used to work at the banks are now lining up to be chauffeurs for people who work at the banks. Okay. Um, he gets a couple jobs. He gets two jobs as like dishwashers at these different restaurants. But even though he's working pretty much all day and all night, he is making half of what he was making before. Like they are in really, they, they say they've saved some, but they're in pretty dire straits. And he eventually decides like, this sucks. Like I yeah. may, maybe things will get better here, but I don't want to wait around for them to get better. And so I am next time I go to court, I'm going to tell the judge, Hey, I'm going to like voluntarily remove myself. Whoa. And that'll be the end of it. And you're going to come back with me. Oh, Nanny really does not want to and no. never, n- never gets around to wanting to. And this is like all the stress around this situation is when he hits her. Mm. So that's his that's his low point as a character. Yeah. Nanny's low point is, you know, they are they are pretty desperate. They're in pretty dire straits when they were at the Hamptons. She walked in on Mrs. Edwards kind of like passed out in, in the bed, like strung out on whatever. And she, on the advice of one of her friends, took a picture of it, not for nefarious purposes, but so if something happens to this white lady, she can tell the police, hey, I did not. Like, this is, oh my God. I had nothing to do with this. So, like, she's taking a picture of the pill bottle and of Mrs. Edwards. It's, oh. And so she is, you know, she's gone to Mrs. Edwards. She's like, please hire my husband back. Please hire my husband back. Like, we, we need this so, so much. Um, Cindy says no. And then Nenny says, well, I have these pictures. So, oh my God. Okay. And that like, like permanently, even though I don't think Cindy ever tells, but that's any, any other member of the family, what it, what has happened before she dies. And it's, it's pretty strongly implied that that was the road she was on anyway. Not like you could read it as like Nenny breaking a, breaking the camel's back and sure. killing her. And that's how Nenny thinks about it sometimes. Yeah. But I don't think that's how the the readers necessarily meant to take it. Hmm. But, um, 
Oof. So yeah, and and even like toward the end of end of the book, actually the Edwardses are are doing okay. Like this this traumatic experience has brought Mr. Edwards closer to his sons, and they are actually going to move down to D.C. to be closer to his family, and he's going to start a, like a lobbying job because the like the the stuff that the banks are doing is just like too much for him. Yeah, like yeah. He he remembers when they used to like stand for something, and now it's all. Like it's all just all those moral banks <laughs> that well, used to exist. But that like that's how you are supposed to like, even though he's always on his cell phone, he's like a classic nineties kids oh, movie businessman dang. dad. <laughs> like the dad from Hook. Yeah, oh like the, like Robin Williams and Hook before he becomes <laughs> Peter Pan again. Um like but 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 because he you catch this whole conversation with him on the phone with some Lehman Brothers guy like having a conscious and 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 fe- conscience and feeling bad about what they're doing and wanting to come clean about it before the bank can collapse like that's how you're supposed to know that oh, oh hey actually he's not a bad guy and like he and Jen they have some conversations and they like watch a sunset together and it's like kind of nice in a couple spots but um but yeah the the book ends with them like they have they have what is not, you know, what what can barely get them by in America is a small fortune in Cameroon. Hmm. Um, Jende's dad dies, and that really instills in him a uh, want to be back home with his family. Um, and they they kind of plan out in their minds what their kids can do. Like their youngest daughter was born in America, so she has a passport; she can always come back. Hmm. Um, and like she she can theoretically she can come back because she had a good student visa. Like they aren't going to let Jende back in. Yeah. But, yeah. But she could come back in if she wants. Um, huh. And yeah, so the, so the book ends with them, them going, they, they go home, which is not how I think you would expect. No. Uh, like um, an American dream book to end. But I guess the, like, the American dream isn't always real for a lot, a lot, a lot of people. There's a, um, I wanted to read a passage where he's, where things are just really breaking for, for him. Yeah. Um, he wanted no more of climbing fl- five flights of stairs to share a bed with his daughter while his son slept in a cot inches away. He wanted no more of smiling for appearances as he stacked dishes and polished silverware. And he certainly wanted no more of riding the subway from work late at night, arriving home sweaty, greasy, and drained. To him, living such a life for another year would have been the curse. Not recognizing when to go back home would have been a curse. Not realizing that he would be happier sleeping in a bedroom separate from his children, going to visit his mother and his brothers whenever he wanted, meeting his friends at a bukaroo and down beach for roasted fish and beer by the ocean, riding around in his own car and sweating outside in January. That would have been the curse. Um, hmm. You're really sure you're not going to miss America? His friends at work asked him repeatedly, not even the football. He laughed every time they asked. Maybe a bit of football, he would reply, and cheesecake. But it's kind of a stunning, like like this crisis that has hit and what it's done to this family is like so huge and like so seismic that yeah. it, that it, like early on in the book, you know, he's arguing with people in favor of the American dream. And now he's saying, you know what, like if I'm going to have to struggle somewhere, like I know things in Cameroon aren't great, but I would rather be close to my family and I would, I would rather be, you know, I would, I would rather be sleeping in my own bedroom, like at a bare minimum, Oof. which I, I can get like, that's yeah. a, that's a, that's real. That's very real. Um, 
so that so that kind of drives home the the really personal and like character like specific to these characters and and to these immigrant characters part of the book um so the thing i alluded to earlier there's a review you know most of the reviews are, are obviously it's a pretty critically critically acclaimed book um there's a new york times review written by an author we've recently covered christina enriquez actually oh, hey. um who did like it and thought it was pretty good and and really liked the characters um called it capacious a, a capacious big-hearted novel um but towards the end of the review she says while the novel's setup is rich with possibility, Mbue doesn't always make the most of it. Within the confines of the car, Jende regularly overhears Clark's business conversations, but the words float through the narrative without consequence. When Lehman goes bankrupt, the event is devoid of context. It doesn't offer us a glimpse into much beyond Jende's panic, his fear that he'll lose his job. When Nene starts working for Cindy at the family's vacation house in the Hamptons, the conceit is ripe. The Jangas of Harlem pitted against the Edwardses of the Hamptons. Um, And a little bit more from there. She says, there's no deep exploration of the true gap between the two. Uh, Does that ring true for you? Does that sound was that not your experience reading the book no i i think that's that's more or less right like when she when she talks about so when she talks about the lehman stuff lacking context that's the part i think i can forgive because the book is really close in on on jenna and nenny and sure they are newcomers to america they don't understand a lot about the financial system you hear about the suffering of of some people and like what it has done to people's jobs and yeah. stuff. But, you know, of course, in a situation like that, and I think this is true of, of a lot of the folks we graduated with, like you are, you're worried about everything, yep. but day to day, it's like, how do I, how do I eat? How do I sleep every night? Like, Heck how yeah. do, how do mm-hmm. I provide for myself? And so, so that part I can forgive. What she mentions about like the the car conversations, that's where I was talking about where that where the book gets a little bit monologuey. Like it just becomes like you're hearing one end of Clark's conversation with some like fat cat businessman that's supposed to set Clark up as a more virtuous figure, and it, and it does, but it feels very that- monologuey and very like. It sounds like Clark is interacting with it's the like, idea of the financial crash rather than like characters that he is doing something to. Right. And it's also it's also telling and not showing so sure. much. Like it's sure. like, oh, I, I don't want to do any of this bad stuff. I'm a good I'm one of those good bankers. I'm the good banker. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, she does I guess she does let the Edwards class off the off the hook a little bit. Like you do get a couple of moments where they're like, Oh, I might have to let the help go or like not yeah not have my second house or something. And then you, you get a couple snippets of that. But I don't know but in way is I think more interested yeah. in drawing parallels than she is in, in drawing distinctions. And especially if you're coming at this from the perspective of someone who thinks that the like the banker class did get off easy in sure. the aftermath of, of the crash. I can see, I can super see how that would be like dissatisfying. Well, and does he have people above him at Lehman Brothers? He being Edwards? Yeah, yeah. definitely. So I think that too is like, I could see Mbue based on what I've read about her and what you've told me about this book being like, he got screwed by other people making back. Like he is not, um, what's his name? 
Richard fooled. Like he is not the guy at the top of the chain making a bunch of bad decisions. No, he's just the guy who's trying to write out the bad decisions that other people and like other divisions at the bank made that are dragging the whole thing down. Yeah, yeah. And so I can see Mbue being the person to be like, yeah, that guy also got screwed. Their lives also got screwed. Um, hmm. Well, that's that's so that's the, the book. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Uh, any other like New York feelings that you want to touch on? No, I can just like see Columbus Circle really clearly in my head every time she brings it up. Like Columbus Circle or Times Square, even though I hate Times Square. Sure. That's how you can tell that I lived near New York. <laughs> so I'm like Seventh Street and up in the in the low forties. No thank you. No thank you. I'm gonna go out of my way to walk around that. Oh my god. Well if you, the listener, uh have thought Seventh Avenue, I'm sorry. That's I I was hoisted by my own oh hoity toitiness there. If you, the listener, have thoughts on the uh, uplifting subject of the Great Recession, you can send them into us at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook and or Twitter, twitter.com slash overduepod or facebook.com slash overduepod. I didn't pull a list because we're recording this out of time and space because Andrew's got a life to lead. By um, out of time, do you mean like three days normal earlier than we normally would? Yeah, and on a day where we recorded another podcast. So Oof, I'm, I'm just so all out of sorts. done talking to you. <laughs> yeah, I'm really done talking to you. Andrew, <laughs> hit them with the info. Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to Patreon. We have links to our iTunes, RSS, and Google Play feeds. If you subscribe in any of those, you get new episodes when they come out on Mondays, and you get new bonus episodes when they come out every month. Um, you also can rate and review us in iTunes. Please do that because it helps us rise on them charts and it helps us feel good about our own selves, which is something we all need every once in a while. That's right. Um, Craig, what's happening next week? Next, well, next week, we're going to release our September schedule in a few days from when you hear this, but I am also working on our August bonus episode, Suffer the Children by Craig DeLouis. So that should come out in uh, like a few, maybe a few days to a week after you hear this. So that'll be the next thing that you get. Um, and keep an eye on our social feeds for some sort of September schedule. Yeah, we're going to do September update. We're going to release our Spooktober schedule probably a little earlier in the month we normally would because yeah, everybody probably. gets so excited about Spooktober. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then like, stay tuned for news about Oprah month, I guess. <laughs> stay tuned. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening, um, and we will see you next week. Until then, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.